In preparation for celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation on October 29th, we continue our study of the six chief parts of Luther's small catechism. So far, we have reviewed the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. Today, we study the sacrament of holy baptism. Luther first translated the baptismal rite from Latin to German in 1523. He pared down the rite, getting rid of many of the extra rituals, such as the blessing of the baptismal font. In 1526, Luther revised it again. There were many things that Luther removed from the baptismal rite, but he made one major addition, the flood prayer that is part of the baptismal liturgy in the front of our hymnal. If you want to know what baptism was all about for Luther, it's all summed up in the flood prayer. There are three main things that Luther's flood prayer teaches us about holy baptism. First, holy baptism drowns sin. This includes the original sin we inherited from Adam, along with all the sins we have ever committed. Second, holy baptism saves you. We have a new life in baptism. It is a pure gift of God because of his grace and mercy. Third, Baptism leads to a life of service and praise. In baptism, we are made a member of God's holy priesthood and called to a life of service to him. May God richly bless our worship study of the sacrament of holy baptism. Martin Luther said that without the two sacraments of the church, no one can be a Christian. Through holy baptism... We are welcomed into the faith community by God's act of washing and forgiveness. This is His work, not ours. Through this gift of water, connected to God's Word, we are claimed as God's own children, set apart for His work in the world, and made holy. Baptism offers believers the promise of eternal life, mercy, and forgiveness, as well as victory over sin keeping original sin in check daily as we remember to whom we belong. When Luther wrote the explanations of the Ten Commandments, he answered his own question of, what does this mean? Saying, original sin, that old Adam that persistently and perniciously has his hands around our necks, causes us to focus solely on ourselves and our own desires. Without baptism... We continue to be beholden to original sin and cannot break free of it on our own. However, with the sacrament of baptism, we are empowered to fear and love God and live fully in His presence. Daily, we are encouraged to remember our baptism so that we might live in communion with God, do His will, and put Him first in our lives. Martin Luther called holy baptism the medicine that swallows up death and keeps all people alive. He also referred to it as the greatest jewel, our daily garment, and a divine treasure. It puts to death the old Adam within us and grants us to daily rise to new life in Christ. We receive this gift in faith and trust in its power for salvation. It is a lifelong venture to comprehend the gifts and grace that come to us through this holy sacrament. The entire Christ is given to us in it, and therefore we lack nothing if we have been baptized in Him. So let us hear God's Word as it relates to the sacraments of holy baptism. 
Today we hear readings from the Old and New Testament on how water was used as symbolism and to teach us about baptism. In the first reading, God uses Moses and a pillar of cloud and fire to part the waters of the Red Sea and lead the Israelites from the bondage of slavery, from bondage and slavery in Egypt into the freedom of the promised land. We are told that things in opposition to God are destroyed in order for the people of God to have the joy and freedom of everlasting life. The first reading is from Exodus, the 14th chapter. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed him into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Paul explained to the Roman Christians that their baptism into Christ is not something that sets them free to live a hedonistic life. Yes, baptism grants us forgiveness and new life, but it is not something we take advantage of. Rather, we are called to a new way of life in the waters of baptism For our old ways have been drowned, and we have risen to live in Christ Jesus. This is the ultimate freedom that God grants to us, even when our physical situations hold us in bondage. The second reading is from Romans, the sixth chapter. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Our baptism in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit connects us to the love of the triune God. Peter explains that at one time Christ suffered and died for the unrighteous so that he could bring a sinful humanity back into relationship with the Father. He links the flood event, where Noah and his family were saved in an ark, to baptism, which saves us. Holy baptism is not a removal of dirt, but rather a gift of grace that assures us of God's great love for us. The third reading is from 1 Peter, the third chapter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Gospel of our Lord. So far, we have dealt with matters of God's Word. The Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, all written by God Himself. The Father gave us the Ten Commandments. The Spirit wrote the Creed. The Son taught us the Lord's Prayer. And so, the first three parts of the Catechism are all the Word of God. We're not finished with the Word of God. In fact, the rest of the Catechism also deals with God's Word. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are divine events in which God's Word takes on the particulars of common, ordinary ingredients, such as water or bread and wine, and delivers the promises of God's Word to faithful receivers. I continue to be amazed at how God takes the ordinary and defects it for our salvation. When God's words command with an earthly element, it becomes a sacrament, a holy action and sign. Here in the sacraments, God's word becomes concrete and observable. In these sacred acts, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is good news by itself, they become a, it becomes a good word for you. Baptism is God's design. 
not just some human invention. Just as the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer are not spun from imagination, man's imagination like some fairy tale. And so to be baptized is to be baptized by God himself. For what we cannot do for ourselves, God does for us. We could pile up our own good works, however dazzling and precious we might think they are, but they are nothing. By, but God, by the work of his Son, is able to accomplish eternal salvation for us. And so the purpose of baptism is to save. Christ said it best himself. He said, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Nobody is baptized in order to become a prince or a princess. But we know that to be saved is to be delivered from sin and the power of the devil and to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some fanatics who blaspheme God's word say, how can a handful of water save the soul? It's just plain wickedness to doubt what God's word itself declares. In saying this, they despise the word of God itself, which is joined to the water. Of course, by itself, water is plain water. But when it's included with God's word, it's a life-giving water. God's word gives baptism its power, and through the water of baptism, we are given life and salvation, just as God's word promises. Suppose a physician possessed the power of raising the dead to life. Can you imagine the money people would pay for his services? And yet here in baptism is such a remedy, offered freely, a remedy that swallows up death forever. The devil has confused many to believe that baptism is an empty rite, so some neglect it. But we are to cherish our baptism and remember it daily. The Christian should begin each day with the sign of the cross as a remembrance of baptism. For every day, our old Adam rebels and disobeys, and so we plunge again into baptism and daily rise again in new life and forgiveness. As long as we carry around the old sinful self, We must treat baptism as a priceless gift given to us freely, even though we are completely unworthy. I must admit that many times I've been confounded by the devil who attacks me and accuses me with sin. He is more than happy to show me my unworthiness. Especially at night, the devil works on my spirit. He keeps me from sleep. In order to keep me awake, he brings out a whole catalog of my sins. He makes me doubt my worthiness of God's gifts and urges me to do something, anything, to save myself. But it's just a trick the devil uses. There is nothing outside of faith itself that can contribute to our salvation. All our works in that direction, all our good and noble intentions, will never gain us mercy or a new life. God does the work. And he does it in fatherly love through his precious Son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, when the devil's up to his old, tired tricks, I will answer him, yes, old fellow, I know all about them. I know some more, I know more sins that you have overlooked. Here's a few extra you could put on the list. I know the enemy cannot harm me, because I have been baptized. That's my defense. I belong to Christ, who covers me. 
The devil knows, and I know, that this is most certainly true.